Hey, let's uh, continue in our consideration of what God has done by looking to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're working through this New Testament letter. Uh, The series is called out, called up, God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. Called out of the world and called to have an upward focus, to be aware not only are we saved and living in this land, but we're looking to the Lord. We're learning to just rely on him in everything. And, and Paul was writing to a church in Corinth. And it's a very um, decadent society. It's very messed up. It, it's, it's very much like the world you live in right now. And there's so much of an in, there was so much of an increase in what you would call fleshly or carnal appetites people that were even born again had a more of a hunger for the things of this world than they had a hunger for the love of God. And so they were learning how to, to love and how to experience God's touch. And so as we go through this, I want you to keep that in mind because, you know, we're going to see contrasts, as I've already mentioned, you know, between, you know, being in this world and not knowing God and then being in this world and knowing God. And learning how to live and and being aware that there is a difference. And so with that, let's consider 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to tackle verses 1 through 5 this morning. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul, as we see, just as we begin journeying into this here in verse 1, Paul did not try to be a Corinthian in order to reach the Corinthians. Make a note of that. You know, there's a, there's a subtle and, and a crafty thought, a scheme of the enemy, Ephesians 6 talks about, where there's this perception we have to be like them for them to listen to us. Is that true? Because Paul's saying here, I, I didn't come in trying to fit in. I didn't try to be one of you. And he's not in any way derogatory. He's actually probably speaking very convicting. He's not trying to, to, to be a Corinthian to, in order to reach the Corinthians. We'll see throughout this letter, there are two types of wisdom. Earthly, sensual, self-minded wisdom. And then there's the heavenly, eternal, godly wisdom. We referenced it, I referenced it last week. We read it the first week. Make note, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Paul, here we see, did not appeal to Corinthian wisdom when he shared evidence, uh, testimony, witness concerning who Jesus is. See, he's sharing not his new thoughts or his, like, religious beliefs. See, some people have that, right? I mean, you live one way. When I was working in the truck shop, I started working there um, after Kim and I met in the restaurant business. And then uh, my senior year of high school, I was able to graduate early and then go to work at this place, this Kenworth dealership in Boise. And I was able to work there. I worked there for 10 years and then became a Christian and then another 10 years. And so 
19 and a half years. So as I'm there that 10 years and then I become a believer and I start living different, this is what they said of me. A couple of my closer friends or at least guys I hung out with or whatever. Oh yeah, Davis got religion. See, Davis got religion. He, he changed his way of thinking and he, you know, he can't go do these things with us. And I remember telling this one guy, dude, Hunter, you're more religious than I am. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you religiously get inebriated every Friday night. You're faithful to it. Every, morning, every Saturday morning, you're barfing your guts up. And you do that weekend after weekend after weekend. You, you're more consistent than I am going to church. That's not what I mean. See, he, he thought that it was just a growing up, a life choice. That's not what happened to me. That's not what happened to you. It's, it's much more than just changing your patterns and habits and disciplines. You know, Paul was sharing the evidence, the witness concerning Jesus Christ. So what happened in Paul's life? What could we reference or refer to to maybe remind us that our experience is similar? The details are different. You weren't there on the road to Damascus when Paul was. But there's something happened in your life. If you're a born-again Christian, something took place. Something happened when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you realized your sin because God revealed it, you received the grace because he offered it, and you were born again because he did it. Born of the Spirit. Let's, uh, it's important because we need to pause here in Corinthians briefly and consider Paul's role, our role, when it comes to sharing or testifying, telling of the, the, the word of God, the work of God, and the ways of God. See, remember this. This is maybe the simplest way to state it. You're an ambassador, not a salesman. You're an ambassador, not a salesman. A salesman needs to close the deal. A salesman needs to say what they, the, the buyer wants to hear. And so we're not salesmen. We're not into the promotion department. We're not into public relations. We're going to see some things as we look through this, but remember, you're an ambassador. An ambassador represents the king. An ambassador speaks for the king and is accountable to the king. So to get a good handle on it, if you would, I, I think we can, we can journey over to, or go take a left, and we'll go to Acts chapter 26. The Apostle Paul, fascinating, because Scripture, you know, the, the Bible is not that big. I, I know it's a big book. But containing everything that pertains to life and godliness is right here. The history of humanity, the declaration of the character of God, all that is contained, it's quite small. So anything that made the cut is relevant. And anything that's been repeated should be reviewed. And if it's repeated again, you should check it out again. In Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 26, we have Paul, under the guidance and the stirring and the direction of the Holy Spirit, sharing how he came to Christ, sharing what happened at that time in his life that really, I believe, is so instrumental. It's the foundation in his life that allowed him to endure persecution, to deal with hostility, to handle rejection, to, to deal with a very corrupt culture. Because there's things he took hold of, and I believe he knew. In Acts chapter 26... This is an example of our mission as ambassadors. A glimpse of Paul's invitation to be an ambassador. It says in Acts 26, beginning there in verse 15. So I said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. So what's happening is, is Paul was on the road to Damascus to go north, if you would, and to cut off this movement that would later be known as Christianity. This, this, this in his mind, this corrupt you know, arm of Judaism that needed to be removed. So as he's going north, God, he encounters Jesus Christ. Gets kind of knocked off his donkey, so to speak. And he has this encounter that he is now saying, who are you? What's going on? He was actually serving God. He was doing what he thought was right for God. He was going to do the God thing his way. And God said, why don't you sit down for a little bit? And he did. And he's like, okay, who are you? So first thing I would say to you, in regards to as ambassadors, know your king. Know your king. See, he is asking a question, who are you? Who are you? And, of course, you know, Jesus, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, whom you are putting yourself above me. You are doing things your way, putting my name on it, and claiming that you, you know me. The encouragement to you and me is, is, is an ambassador, know your king. We see also in verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. So not only are you to know your king, you are commissioned by the king. Paul didn't say, I'm going to go do something for Jesus. Jesus said, I will empower you, I will lead you, I will direct you. I will, as you can see from that verse I mentioned, I will send you. Rise and stand, for I've appeared to you for a purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. Both the things you've seen and the things you will yet see. You're commissioned by the king when we see also in that same verse, he has given you purpose, a purpose. You and I have a purpose. And ultimately it's to serve and to make known the king and his kingdom. The things you know, you, you declare. How many of us could raise our hand and say, I know all the Bible. I'm ready now. I'm ready to talk theology with people. I'm ready to discuss doctrine with people. You're not ready. You'll never know it all. But you are ready because you know what you know. And when someone says, well, how do you know? And you say, because I know. And they want to say, explain to me how you know. I don't know. I just know. It's really fascinating because it almost seems just, just humorous. But it's very logical. You can't speak confidently of something you don't know. But the things you do know, you can speak very confidently. Some of the most persuasive conversation is because you don't have the answers, but you do have a relationship. And it confounds the Corinthian logic, which is present in our world too. So Paul, here we see as an ambassador, getting to know the king, commissioned by the king, given a purpose by the king, and you see what it says, make known the things you've seen and the things which I will re yet reveal to you there in Acts 26, 16. Another thing we can pull out of this, and we're, we're, we're formulating, if you would, a foundation of who we are in Christ, understanding how we can go forth with a, with a realization of his calling, of his invitation, with, with a, an effective uh, witness, if you would. Verse 17, he sends you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. He sent his people. Paul will be the one we see a lot about. We get to learn a lot about him from the New Testament. But he sent his people 
out into a world as sheep among wolves. So when you get in a fight and you're the little sheep you deep, and you're, you're, you're going toe-to-toe with the wolf, who wins? The wolf wins. Okay. But the lion of the tribe of Judah whoops a wolf. So get this. Yes, he's sending us out, but we realize our strength comes from him. Our commission is from him. He will not send you anywhere that he would not go first, go before you. And Paul has to realize, he has to settle this in, and I believe he did. I believe with deep conviction he would share his story of what God did, not what Paul did. Paul didn't say, I've become this because I'm a Bible study man. I'm a prayer warrior. I do these things for God, and that's why I am what I am. No, Paul would say, I'm nothing. I am saved by the amazing grace of God through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus who is the Christ. I am saved because of him. And because of him, I'll tell you about him more than I'll talk about me. And it's so powerful. If you think about it, he just sends him. He sends you. Where does he send you? Home. He sends you in your recreation, in your occupation, to your neighborhood, to Walmart, to wherever. He sends you, you are always his ambassador. See, there's an error in our logic as we try to manage very complex, stressful lives. We categorize. Oh, I'm going to work. Oh, I'm going fishing. Oh, I'm, you know, fill in the blanks. You're doing those things, but you're never not an ambassador. You're always an ambassador. So yes, we should be, be able to go do various things, but know that you're always his ambassador. And it's not a heavy uh, burden. It's not a duty you have to fulfill. It's a relationship and a responsibility you and I have been invited into and we get to do. Some people, they got that Billy Graham gift. Or for him was Billy Sunday, and, and we see Greg Laurie, and, and then you know, there's the teachers of like Charles Spurgeon or D.L. Moody or Wesley, or you fill in the blanks. Man, they're amazing. And, and they have a unique gifting. And but guess what? You, as an ambassador of Christ, are also enabled, empowered, and burdened to tell people the truth about Jesus Christ. And sometimes you get to use words. It's your lifestyle that people notice first. You can say a lot, but if you don't do what you say, you are an offense to the gospel. You, by that, what I mean is you just push people away because of the hypocrisy, because of the contradiction. And so Paul, I believe he's in his mind, in his being, in his life experience, he realizes, this is who I am. I was that, but this is who I am. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I get to be his spokesman. And so let's consider the last part in this sense of, of what is an ambassador? What is what they about? We'll consider verse 18 of Acts 26. This is the heart of the king. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Know the heart of the king. How do you know it? Because Paul knew that was what was done for him. His eyes were open because we know they were blind. When he you know, did the bailer off the, the burrow, guess what? He was blind for a while. 
But God opened his eyes. Not only did he open his eyes in, in the sense of this, the physical, but also to turn them from light, from darkness to light, from the grip, from the power, from the strength of Satan to God. Previously, we were held by an entity, entity we wouldn't acknowledge. You're either for God or you're against God in a very simple way. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving the adversary of the Lord, the, the, the devil himself. Oh, that's too definitive. That's too simplistic. No, no, it's real simple. See, so here, Paul, who thought he was a very devoted person, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, trained under Gamaliel from, from this rabbinical school, this rabbi Paul, Saul. Wow, he can be somebody. But you know what he realized? What he come to understand? God, you have taken me from the power of religion, from this human effort that's system-oriented and performance-driven, and you've rescued me from that. That's the grip of the enemy who would get you to think you can just do it on your own. And you've transferred me into this glorious life, this relationship with God. He's received forgiveness of sins and had experienced this truth of this inheritance among those who are set apart by faith in, in Christ. Paul lost his inheritance. you know that? Not in Christ. But when he became a Christian, he got disowned. He got booted. It cost him everything to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus reminds him as he reminds you and I, you, you, it will cost you in this world, but you are in my kingdom. You are a prince and a princess of the king. You have everything beyond what you can imagine, not only now in a relational sense, in a peace and a hope sense, but in the age to come beyond what you could grasp or comprehend. So, now, taking that little brief review of, of Paul's experience, let's venture back to 1 Corinthians 2. Because do you see the importance of knowing who you are as an ambassador in Christ? I believe this, what we've touched on, helps us to really understand the emphasis here in the first five verses and actually all of this chapter, which is actually, I don't know if we should call it 1 Corinthians 1.2 or 1 Corinthians 2.1. Because when you see the content, it's continuing thought. It's making known this reality. Paul understood. As we look here in verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a misunderstanding about that sometimes, that you only talk about Jesus. And every time somebody starts talking about their favorite sports team, you've got to talk about Jesus. And every time some boss is giving you direction at work, you've got to talk about Jesus. You shut up, okay? Just zip it sometimes. Because really, what this is basically saying, the, the priority of my life, the thing I determined, is I'm not going to come appeal to you with the things of this world. I'm only going to bring to you the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will transform your life. It's the only thing that will regenerate you, bring you into a born-again relationship. And I, and I will get into it here in a little bit, but you know, it's important to have interaction and dialogue and respect and relation and connection. But Paul is saying right here, I've determined this. I've decided, my priority was that you know the truth concerning the Savior of the world who is Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes you can, you can convey that in the first engagement. But do, do you realize, do you remember out of Acts 18? Paul was with them for a year and a half. Paul was in this city. Paul come out of Athens and, and then went to Corinth, and he, he conveyed the truth, and he went through a very tough time, you can see in that passage out of Acts. And he, and he, and he, and he come to a point where he just said, this is, this is what's important to me. 
that somehow eventually in our engagement, our interaction, our relationship, I I will be able to share the truth of the gospel because that's the one thing I want you to know. I was able to fish with a friend for for a couple years, a few years actually, and and I love fishing with him. I love being on the water. He's just like a mentor to me. He taught me so many things and continues to. But my heart is for him to know what I know about the person Jesus Christ. That's my heart. And sometimes we're talking about, you know, fishing lures, or sometimes we're talking about hunting experiences. But guess where? This is the one thing I've determined. This is the one priority I have, is that somehow, through the work of the Holy Spirit, I'll be sensitive to the voice of God to be able to share the truth of God with a person who does not yet know God, so that they will be removed from the grip of darkness and transferred into his glorious light. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just determined. This is the one thing I want to know. I, wanted, I, wanted, I, wanted, I don't want to bring anything else to the table except him crucified, the, the Lord of glory revealed. Verse 3, let's read 3 through 5 again. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. On the horizontal plane, this flat, wide plane of worldly wisdom, we are weak and trembling. By worldly measures, as Christians, we don't measure up. Yes, we should do our best, and, and, and maybe we have a local or, or a regional or a national effect, but we are not the top of worldly wisdom. I hate to break it to you. You're here in the metropolis of Mountain Home, the, the, the center point of the planet, so to speak, where all you know, information and technology and everything hubs from. I, I don't know if you think that. I have to bring you to reality. You're just stuck in the desert, dude. That's where you live. You live in the desert. You're, 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 you're somebody to God, but you're kind con- sounds really negative, but you're just a nobody, right? I know you, I want to go to church so that one guy can say I'm a nobody. But let's just face it, in the big scope, in worldly wisdom, you'll never be somebody. You will never attain, you will never arrive, you'll never be, you're not going to get drafted. Why? Because you're not of this world. You're not of this world. You'll never be there. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't think of it as that we shouldn't do good and, and try to be our best. See, Paul, when he make, he's making this statement about who he was, he's acknowledging. I, I believe it's very probable that when he was there in Corinth that he had illness and sickness and other things that he was physically dealing with because we know he had a thorn in the flesh that he had to deal with that uh, 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 literally buffeted him. It was just kind of knocking him down and kicking his rear end sometimes. But he knew God allowed it. So he had physical weakness and, and personal challenges. And so when he was before them, it's very probable that some of his teaching, he was sick. He was unable to convey with full energy because he was zapped. He was just, you know, it was life. And he says, I didn't come with you with all this persuasive ability and this, you know, oratory capacity. So Corinth was a little different in one sense, but they were more uh, simplified in that they didn't have internet. They didn't have their favorite sports team. They didn't have all these wide ranges, you know, where they could go to Pinterest and be interested in that and they could find all this. You know, they had, honestly, a little bit of sports and a whole lot of politics. 
and a whole lot of presentation. And they were known for just, you know, being able to, that's what they did as kind of a hobby. That was the gathering of the culture. You went to listen to the new speakers, and you, 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 you rated them, and you reviewed them, and you considered, well, he's pretty good at this, but he's not very good at that. It, it's kind of like Sunday afternoon after church, a little bit. And so he, he, as he, he knows this, he's like, I'm not going to measure up to these guys who were polished and got it together and they're skilled and trained and they bring this worldly wisdom because he's not reasoning at that level. You ever tried to reason somebody into the gospel? They don't get it. They won't. Because that's worldly wisdom. Paul understood an ambassador did not have to be praised or promoted or accepted by those he speaks to. Remember that. You don't have to be complimented. You don't have to be praised. You don't have to be elevated or promoted to be an ambassador. You simply speak of the king. An ambassador represents the king. An ambassador reflects the heart of the king. Remember what we read back in Acts 26? The heart of God for people, that they'd be rescued out of this, this separation and this, this devastation and death. That was God's heart, and he did something to, to accomplish that. An ambassador reflects the heart of the king. An ambassador walks in the ways of the king. That's very important because when you're walking in the way of the king, you would have to at least consider, I believe you would really almost be required, if you would, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get a handle of the red letter, so to speak, and to realize how Jesus engaged with people. How did he deal with those? He, when he came to his own and his own did not receive him. How did he deal with those who rejected him and mocked him and spit on him? Because that's the ways of God that we need to learn. To, to deal with adversary, to deal with difficulty, to deal with hardship. And still maintain a sense of relationship with God. Because, you know, as he speaks of his speech wasn't that persuasive. Um, you know, he didn't have all this human wisdom, but he, he did have something. Notice this. In demonstration, or it could be manifestation, but demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, he wasn't going to errantly or inadvertently or consciously give credit to his studies or himself. He was going to say very clearly, listen, it is, what you've seen is the work of God. Like Kim and I were able to share. It wasn't just because we're in a church setting and you're all believers, so well, we'll give credit to God for our 40-year marriage. Well, we're not there yet. We've got another day yet, but still. See, sometimes it's, it's the audience and the orientation that we can kind of maybe say things, but get this. You know, I know, I can't convey to you, some of you know me, you, you, it's not a stretch. You know it was is the hand of God that Kim and I are still married. If you know male ego, you know certain personality types, if you know the, the, the ways of this world. and So I can, with confidence and not trying to be persuaded, I can just say, my life has changed, her life has changed because of the power of God. It wasn't the Calvary Chapel system. It wasn't a particular discipline. It, wasn't, it was the very presence and power of God, which is what Paul's conveying, because he's wanting them to come into a relationship with Christ, not a dependence upon religion. He's not trying to just deter them or you know, direct them into some other horizontal thing. He's teaching them to be upward, to, be, uh, to understand. It's because of God that my life is what it is. I said it last week, it's worthy of repeating because it fits in this content. You cannot 
talk someone into believing. You can persuade a confession without having conversion. You can convince their minds and emotions and not change their hearts. You can teach them religion without regeneration. Our lives are to tell of his presence, his power, his forgiveness, his salvation to us. Make sure your words are of that heavenly wisdom. It's wonderful to speak of various things. And I want to make sure we get this because I think we, do, we, we goof up sometimes. We, we, we don't want to be involved in secular, worldly things, so we separate. But here, get this. We should, we can relate, we can connect. We can understand what someone's going through. We can sympathize and empathize and come alongside, and we should. But realize they need to know Jesus Christ. You can be very kind to someone. You can walk the old lady across the street. You can do whatever is noble and good. But ultimately, your heart cries, do they know Jesus? Have they been brought into, have they responded to the prompting of God? And and, and responding to the prompting of God, are, are they... Born again, have they come into this relationship with God? Because I believe that's what we see in the world today, the opposite of that. Where many are persuaded because the theory of, of, God, of a good life is promoted more than a, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in teaching people how to be good people and, and live in good ways and, and do humanitarian things and be noble and nice. Well, those things should be happening because you're born again, because you look how Jesus engaged with people, the ways of the king. But if we can only do those things, but, well, I don't like mentioning Jesus. It makes people uncomfortable. You know what? You're going to be very uncomfortable standing before Jesus. Right? I mean, just this thing about it. Like, ooh, I, I don't, I'll bring that up. I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I'm not going to be insensitive or rude, I hope. But I'm not going to ignore the most important decision any person will make. If someone's going to reject Jesus Christ and I have a relationship with them, I want it to be because they were informed about the who, but who the true Jesus is. And if they reject him, I hope it's not because the method was bad. I hope it's because they received the message and still made their decision because I can't change that. But I can bring forth the message just like you and I can do. People need to realize they need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know that Jesus was crucified as a payment for their sins. People need to know that Jesus died and rose from the dead, therefore conquered death and hell. People need to know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through him. That is, those are absolute facts in a world that wants to reject anything absolute. We're really living in, and I don't have to say this, this may be a little bit of filler, which I don't need coming right out of time. We, we live in a very weird world. Well, there's no absolutes. Excuse me? I mean, there's, 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 that's observable reality. Oh, well, but, you know, I mean, we, I can't even go there. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know where to start and where to stop because I don't know if I'm talking to men to women, to somebody identifying something else. I mean, we're, oh my God, I can't even say what is in my mind because I quit using that kind of language a long time ago. It's like, seriously, you, those, are, those are absolutes. Those are, God created man and woman. And this movement that's in place right now is aimed at the, the, removing the knowledge of the deity of God. The very core of it is demonic. 
Transgenderism is a slap in the face of the God who made man and woman. And so he basically says, well, we made a mistake. That is not a discussion point. That's an objective, observable fact, period. And even as I say this, I got canceled last week. Well, I got a warning on Facebook last week. That, you know, it's like, so I, I don't care about Facebook, seriously. This, get your face in this book. That's what's going to matter. The point, the point is, you know, it's just like, how do we get drawn into this? How do we get brought into these conversations? I say it this way, and you guys hear my position, but I have empathy for you. You have a friend, a loved one, a, a co-worker that has been deceived by this. And you weep at night because of their, their, their deception and where they've been taken into and what they're being torn up by. It's, it's not just cut and dried, we're, it's us against them. We got to realize we should have empathy and sympathy and, and realize Jesus was merciful and patient and aware and loving and kind and we should be also. But we want to realize also that his love was an action with a purpose. And our love should be an action with a purpose. Ours should be to be representatives of the living God. Ambassadors of the king, not salesmen. You're an ambassador, not a promoter. You don't have to promote the benefits of being a Christian. They'll figure it out when they're saved. Too much time is spent promoting the whole benefit of being a Christian. Quite honestly, there's not a lot of benefit in this life of being a Christian. There's a benefit because I'm born again and I have a new life in Christ and I live for eternity with him, not separated from him. But even, you know, when I got saved, I sort of subconsciously figured life would get better. Because obviously if you're a Christian, God loves you more. And so therefore you won't get sick, you won't get old, you won't die. You know, you just like, whoop, and just kind of, you know, leave your genes behind and go to heaven. I don't know why. I mean, it's just weird. And it's like... There's nothing the Bible says about that. Jesus said this, in this world, at this time, in these frames, in this life, you will have intense trials, tribulations, and difficulties, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Man, what an amazing thing. So don't feed my ego. You can't do that. I'll get all hyped up about myself. You're a child of God and a living example of the power of God in your home, in your community, wherever you are, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We're going to close with Hebrews chapter 13 as the worship team works their way back up. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Will you stand with me and we will dig in. As you know, I like to close praying a portion of scripture. I believe there's always a passage that kind of condenses and maybe encourages or convicts, but it just kind of seems to be what brings us into an awareness and kind of summarizes what we've considered. And, and out of Hebrews 13, I see this beautiful dependence upon God to accomplish what only he could do in your life and in my life. 
I, I believe God's not done yet. I believe God is not finished with me. I know there's so much more I've got to learn. I know there's so much more for yourself that God wants to show you and encourage you and convict you and correct you and comfort you with. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? God, as we have been here today considering your presence, not in thought and theory, but in conviction, in living expressions, we're, we're letters that you've wrote your truth upon, living epistles, God, that you have done a work in, and I just praise you for that. I would pray, God, the God of peace, that you would accomplish what only you could do you brought our Lord Jesus up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And God, we believe that you will continue what you've started, that you will make us complete in every good work to do your will. You working in us what is well-pleasing in your sight through Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, let's sing to him.